Hi, and welcome to the Ministry Network Podcast. I'm your host, James Baird. Today, you will hear from Dr. Harry Reeder. Dr. Reeder has over 40 years of pastoral experience in church planning and revitalization. He is the author of the books 3D Leadership and From Embers to a Flame. Dr. Reeder will share with us today his principles for how to lead and revitalize your church. The Ministry Network podcast is sponsored by Westminster Theological Seminary. To learn more about their new online programs, visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree. Well, Dr. Reeder, thank you so much for joining us here on Ministry Network. We are so excited to hear from your experience and learn from your advice. Well, it's my privilege and uh, my joy to be with you, and thank you for the opportunity. Oh, it's our pleasure. Well, you are a very experienced church leader, pastor, someone who's been involved for decades in church revitalization. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about the story of Christ's Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, where I believe a Pastor DeYoung, Kevin DeYoung, is currently leading the church, but you're the one who really saw it hit that initial level of growth and development. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience and leadership at that church? Well, yes, uh, it was a great privilege to serve the Lord there. I was actually, my first congregation was in Miami. It was a church that the Presbytery was going to close, but I said, hey, can we give it a shot? And God was very gracious to revitalize that into a multiracial, multi-ethnic congregation that was growing. And then the denomination began a process, a, a program to plant churches in key areas where there was no PCA church. And although Charlotte had more Presbyterians per capita than any place in the United States, when the PCA began, not one church in that area came into the PCA in the Charlotte proper. So they said, would you go plant a church that we could plant a presbytery from that church? So I went and I was going to plant the church in a particular area, and it became known that there had been an initial church planting effort that had come to a close, but four families were left, and they, with the Presbytery Evangelist, had said, well, let's give this a shot. And so the four families had grown to about 38, and my statement to the denomination was, they are perfectly located in the place in Charlotte where we would plant a church if we went there. So what about that church volunteering itself to be the core group for this flagship church effort, thus Christ's covenant with the 38 folks. And eventually we were able to plant multiple churches and now granddaughter churches are all over the place. And also we're able to get a couple of presbyteries going. And then the church itself grew to about 3,000 in attendance when I left. So I served there for 17 years. And from there you went on to your current position, is that right, at Briarwood? Right. I'm on my 21st year. Followed the founding pastor, just a great man of God. It was a great privilege to be his successor. He is still here as Pastor Emeritus. His name is Dr. Frank Barker. A church from a storefront grew to about 3,900 when I came and was meeting some challenges. And uh, Dr. Barker felt it was time that he step aside uh, for various reasons, some of them related to health. And then so he stepped aside. I asked him to stay, which he did as Pastor Emeritus. And then I came in 1999. Now, could you 
tell us a little bit, Pastor Reader, about how you would define a church that's in need of revitalization. Well, the statistics will usually be evident. The church will be plateaued, statistically declining. That'll usually show up in the giving of the church, the stewardship of the church, the number of attendees to the church, the loss of membership in the church. Uh, That'll be the symptoms. That's not the cause, but that's the symptoms. When you go into the doctor, the first thing they look at is your, quote, vitals. Well, those aren't the vitals of a church, but they do give you a statistical analysis of what's going on. Now, sometimes a church does uh, diminish in numbers as a part of the work of revival. And so that can be the case. But in this case, there's even more than a statistical diminishing, but there is also the lack of energy. And the real things you're looking for, there's a lack of conversions. Many times younger people are not there because it's just the older people that have been there their whole life and they're just not going to leave. And that's why they're there. And there's no vitality. There's no vision. There's no excitement. There's no, you can just sense that the joy of the Lord uh, has departed. The glory of the Lord has not departed. So can the embers be brought back to a flame? And that's the question that has to be asked. I have only in my entire life ever automatically said, well, I think y'all need to go ahead and close the doors. I think a revitalization is always a possibility. It was built into the life of the Apostle Paul, his second missionary journey. He went back to revitalize the churches that he had planted on the first missionary journey. In the seven churches in Revelation, five needed revitalization. The Lord didn't immediately close them down. He called them to repentance and gave a roadmap of church revitalization. Remember, repent, and recover. And so that's been a great ministry that I love is the ministry of church revitalization. And how would you counsel a pastor who has just stepped into a role where he sees those symptoms, that statistical profile, which looks very discouraging? How would you ask him to prioritize his labors as a pastor to start the work of revitalization? Well, let me say what I tell them. Make sure you don't do. Make sure you don't think your objective is church growth. That's not your objective. Your objective is church health. Healthy churches grow. The church is called the body of Christ. So a local church is a manifestation of the body of Christ. Well, a church can be big and be unhealthy. A church can be small and be unhealthy. It's not that big's good and small's bad, or small's good and big's bad. My goodness, we all extol the church in Jerusalem, which probably, since the numbers of 3,000 and 5,000 are just counting the men, is probably a church of around 16 to 18,000. Yet we also have other churches commended in the New Testament that are meeting in houses. So the issue of church health is not necessarily a size issue. And if you decide church growth is your objective, it's just a matter of time till you become pragmatic with your ministry and your message in order to put the numbers in the seats. And when you do that, what you've done is wood, hay, and stubble instead of gold, silver, and precious jewels, and it'll just burn up in the day of trial and judgment. So number one, don't make your objective church growth. Make it church health. And church health has to start with the leadership of the church, and that starts with you and your gospel health, your spirit-filled, Christ-centered, Bible-saturated, 
lifestyle that is leading with the gospel as you teach and preach the whole counsel of God. It's got to start with you. So that would be the first things that I would say to someone who is facing church revitalization. And in fact, somewhere between 88 to 92% of the churches in North America are stagnant and declining. Well, my guess is a seminary graduate is not going to get the call to the 8% of healthy churches. You're going to get a call to a revitalization project. One of our members on the ministry network actually asked a question that's hitting exactly what you're mentioning, and that is, when a young pastor is in that unique opportunity to either plant a new church or revitalize an older one, how would you counsel him about which decision to make? Well, it would depend on your gift mix. You know, the church planter is a pioneer. The church uh, revitalization pastor is a homesteader. And that's two different sets of gifts. Now, you're using the same dynamic of the means of grace, but you've got to have extraordinary patience. Here's what I love about church revitalization. If I'm church planting and I begin to grow, well, I got to buy property, I got to build a building, I got to do this, I got to make all of those accommodations. Church revitalization, I've got the property. The problem is nobody's there using it. I've got a parking lot. I've got a building. I've got all of that. I don't even have to worry about that. I can focus on ministry. I can focus on doing a ministry that the parking lot gets filled up and the seats get filled up because I've already got all of that. So I, I love that. But I've got to get in there with diagnostic tools of the gospel and to go to work with a gospel-focused ministry. What has happened in the life of that church? You don't find that out overnight. So what you do is you come in doing evangelism and discipleship. You come in and you meet the people. You find out what has happened. Some guys make a drastic mistake. They come into a church revitalization and they treat the church like a scaffold that they are going to stand on while they build the church of their heart and dream. And therefore, you get a battle called the old guard and new guard in a few years. But if you treat the church not as a scaffold that you're standing on, using the members and their gifts to build the church you think ought to be there, but you're treating them as the foundation of the church that you believe God is going to build there. Then when the new people come, that's the fruit of their ministry, not a threat to their existence. And so I think that's really, really important. And you got to ask yourself a question. What are my gifts and my abilities? I know everybody thinks they're called to be a church planter because that's the exotic thing to do today. I have met few real church planters. Now, in God's providence, I have had three pastorates. And I believe there are three kinds of pastorates. There's the church planter, there's the church revitalization pastor, and there's what I call the next level pastor, where you come into a reasonably healthy church to take it to the next level. Now, in God's providence, I have had the privilege to face all three of those. Church revitalization at Pinelands, a church replant, a new plant church, Christ Covenant in Charlotte. And then the next level, the church had kind of leveled out at Briarwood and was facing some issues. But we just built off of what God had done and thanked the Lord for it and then said, now, how do we take this to the next level? And so I think you're facing one of those three. And most of the time, 
pastors have to take a look at what is their gift mix. Now, your tools are the same. It's the means of grace, it's evangelism, it's discipleship, it's worship, it's intercessory prayer. Those are your tools. But what is your gift makeup? How has God put that composition together? Usually, you fall toward one of those three types of ministries. And one of the best ways to take a look is internally, what is your heart desire? Then externally, some people who love you enough to tell you the truth about your gift mix, where it would work best. Now, eventually, the church is going to have its say. If you try to plant a church and you're not gifted, well, guess what? Church won't get planted. You try to revitalize a church and you're not gifted too, well, guess what? The church goes ahead to another level of dissipation. If you think you're a next-level pastor and the next thing you know the church is plummeting, well, the church is eventually going to get its input to you. But what you need to do is get that input internally and externally and then make use of the tools that can sharpen your skills for any of those ministries. You know, for instance, guys, pastors will come to our embers to a flame, and I always tell them, bring two or three leaders from your church. Well, the fact is, is sometimes even in that conference, the pastor and the elders listening to the threefold paradigm roadmap of church revitalization given by Jesus, the 10 strategies, and the pastor will say to his elders, you know, guys, I don't think this is my gift. Or the elders may even have to say to the pastor, but you've got to be honest. You've got to open your heart. Where are your skills and gifts? Some guys are gifted to be on a staff to support a senior pastor. And so you just really need to get that input in your life. And there's two things I think are very helpful when you're coming out of seminary. One is to get on a staff position of a healthy church to absorb a good model and get input from the pastor and the elders and the people while you're there, that three to five years of where your strengths and skills are. Number two is find a church that's reasonably healthy, a smaller church in a smaller town where they're not going to have the resources to go get, quote unquote, the successful pastor. But you could come there and you got some good elders and you're going to be a kind of a general practitioner as the pastor of that church. You may have a part-time youth guy or something, but you're going to be a general practitioner and you promise those people three to five years and you got some pastors around you that you can call upon mentoring to give you input. And in that setting, many times you can get great feedback of where is the rest of your life ministry going to go, as well as extraordinary opportunities to grow by being a general practitioner in that church. You mentioned earlier that when you're coming into a church planning situation or a church revitalization situation, that you have to focus on the leadership of the church, which of course starts with the pastor, but also involves your elder team. What advice would you give to a church planter who is struggling to find any candidates in that early stage of the church who meet the qualifications of an elder? So you're going in and you're going to focus on your leadership and developing leaders. Of course, the very first thing to do is to buy Harry Reader's book, 3D Leadership. That would be the very first thing. Of to course, do. absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. Let me get serious. So my first church, three of my elders did not know the Lord. So I evangelized them. And then we began to grow. And all three of them, about six months later, 
came to me and said, you know, Pastor, we would like to resign. One of them said, I'd like to be a deacon. Now that I understand what is an elder and what is a deacon, and now that I know the Lord, and now that I look at my gift, I actually think I'm a deacon. One of them said, I want to serve on the school board. I think I can be of help there. And uh, you know, he said, well, now, you know, you were an elder, and and now you know the Lord, and you're growing. They said, well, Pastor, you know, we got so many people coming here that I think are much more mature than I am. And they said, secondly, there was only 14 men in the church when you came, and if we weren't elders, the church was going to have to close. And uh, so that's the only reason we were elders, because we didn't want the church to close. Well, now I know the Lord. Now I understand all of that, so I think we need to get somebody else in there. And so we didn't have to go to special discipline. The general discipline had um, purified our leadership as we worked on and understood what is an elder, what is a deacon. So I think you go in and you develop relationships. One of the elders I went to, I said, I'm going to have lunch with you once a month, and I want you to tell me every time I meet with you, tell me the history of this church, what were the great things and what were the difficult things, and where did you think we failed? I want to get your feedback to me. And then I said, secondly, I want you to tell me how you think I'm doing as a pastor. Well, the guy broke down in tears. And he said to me, everybody that's come here has told us how bad we are. Number one, you're the first pastor to ever have lunch with me. Number two, you're the first pastor to ever ask me for my feedback and my insight. Well, you know, you get varying degrees of competency in that relationship and the feedback you get. But boy, the relational capital we began. And I did get some great insights in terms of the history of that church. I know this is this sounds like a truism, but it is true. When you come to a church, you got yourself a Westminster degree, people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So you've got to start building relational capital. Now, many times there's a gigantic problem when you come, you got to face, and whatever honeymoon capital you've got, you burn it up. But wherever you can, get in there, Preach, make sure your messages are gospel, simple messages, expounding God's word. If I'd go into a church like that, first thing I'd do is preach on Mark, not Acts, preach on Mark and uh, let people know how how great Jesus is and how much you love him. And then I start doing some, uh, maybe Sunday night, I love Sunday night services, Sunday night services on leadership in general, and just start drawing people into it. And then in my session meetings, I just sit and listen to the guys, ask them for their input. I bring simple initiatives to begin with. Then I start some training on leadership as a 15 to 30 minutes of a session meeting. So about a third of the session meeting we spend in prayer. About a fourth of the session meeting we spend on training. Then the rest of everything else, uh, we handle the business and the shepherding dynamics of the church. That's the way that basically I approach it and would approach it tomorrow if I was somewhere. Now, again, you may, when you come in, like when God brought me to Briarwood, one of the things we were facing and, you know, the church was in a worship war. Whatever capital I had got burned up pretty quickly as I tried to address that issue. But everything else I said to you now is what I begin to do in the context of Pinelands and Briarwood. Join us next time as we continue our conversation with Dr. Harry Reeder on church leadership and revitalization. In the meantime, 
visit ministrynetwork.com forward slash degree, where you can learn about the new online offerings available at Westminster Theological Seminary.